Hi there, and welcome to episode four of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir, and I've been a middle and high school teacher, as well as a teacher of future and current teachers, and I love a good story. We're all living out stories, epics. And if you're an educator, you are a key part of your students' stories. The time they spend with you may be temporary, but the impact you have on them lasts long after their time in school, which is why I love talking about how to make that time more memorable and engaging and transformative for them. How do we guide our students in their stories, but then as educators, how do we thrive in our own? That's what this podcast is about. Whatever you teach or however you serve in schools, how can you lead a more dynamic and impactful and meaningful and epic classroom? So this week's episode is called Hogs and Logs, or maybe we're going to call it How to Teach Students to Hold Each Other Accountable, or maybe we're going to call it Why We All Hate Group Work. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. I'll get to that in a second. We'll figure out what we're going to call it. But first, let's just say this out loud. What a time it is to be alive. I mean, it feels like every email I send to people starts with, I hope you're doing well despite all of the craziness going on because it all is still a little crazy, right? I mean, I thought we were done with all of this pandemic teaching, but it seems that we're still pandemic teaching and throw in everything else going on in the world and it certainly feels like a lot. But I'll tell you what, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, there isn't a tribe of people I'd rather go through a crazy time with than educators. I'm serious. One of the things I've gotten to do after the last two years is to connect with teachers all over the place on social media, but also in lots of Zoom meetings and even some in-person presentations. And something I've found is that despite all that's been thrown at educators from pandemics to politics in every interaction with educators that I've had is that there's still this hopefulness and energy for working with kids and making schools a place where learning and success and wonder still happens. I mean, there's a lot that needs fixing and mending, and most of us are tired. But I have to tell you, connecting with you has given me so much life. And so let's stick together as we keep moving forward. And that's kind of my hope with this podcast, that hopefully in a small way, it can help do that as we dig in to different ways to thrive during this time and help our students do the same. So let's dig in right now and let's do this podcast episode four, Hogs and Logs or something like that. And we'll start it off by telling a story. So when I was a freshman in college, I remember I was in this really big lecture hall and the professor announced that there was going to be our very first group project. And I'm brand new to college and I've never been in a big college group project before. And so I'm listening intently as he's giving instructions for what we're supposed to do. And then I'm expecting him to place us into groups. But instead he says, all right, everybody have the projects ready next week. And he turns and walks out of the room. And I'm like, wait a minute. Isn't he going to put us into groups? I don't know how to do this. I'm new to college. I don't know anyone here. And so I'm kind of like nervously looking around the lecture hall for somebody to make eye contact to be in my group. And I'm watching everybody start to pair up and form their groups. And I'm getting nervous and sweaty. 
And then all of a sudden I get this tap on my shoulder and I turn around and there's this girl standing there and she's got her two friends standing behind her. And she says to me, hi, do you want to be in our group? And it, and it was like, like the skies opened up and these were three angels standing before me and they were like, do you want to be in our group? And I'm like, yes, I'd love to. And I've got all of these thoughts running through my head like, oh my gosh, maybe I met my first friends in school. Maybe I just met my girlfriend. Heck, this could be my wife someday. They asked me to be in their group. And then one of them said, oh, we're going to work on it tonight at my apartment. I'm like, your apartment? It's like, oh, we're not in high school anymore. And so I'm all excited. I got picked to be in this group with these girls and so I said I'll run to Staples and get all the supplies that we need and they said oh that's wonderful thank you and so that night I got to their apartment and I've got my arms full of poster boards and markers and all these supplies and one of them opens the door and she goes hey you I'm like hey you and so I walk in all excited for this experience to work on a group project at an apartment with these three angels when I look over to the couch and there's these three dudes sitting there and one of the girls says oh do you mind if our boyfriends hang out while we work on this tonight and I'm like boyfriends and I said yeah no problem at all and for the next two hours I sat at the table and I worked on this quote-unquote group project while they sat on the couch and they watched Dawson's Creek together at the end of that night, I took all the supplies. I says, you know what? I'm going to work on this at home. I'll see you guys next week in class. And they said, oh, that's so sweet. And I remember the next week in class, we presented the project to the entire lecture hall. And it went really well. I presented it well. I worked actually hard on this thing. And I remember at the end of it, the professor started doing this like cool running slow clap. He was, he was clapping and everybody in the rest of the class start clapping. He said, this, ladies and gentlemen, is an example of a superb group project. And I'll never forget get those girls who are in my group had the nerve to do this like little bowing curtsying thing as if they did anything to contribute to the project and I swore off in that moment to ever want to do a group project again can you feel my pain at all in this experience have you ever been in my shoes where you were in a group project and you did all the work and everybody else just rode on your coattail and seemed to get the same amount of credit for it or maybe you've been the person who didn't put in any work and you wrote on somebody else's coattail and you can identify with that. I can honestly relate with that a lot more than the other role. I mean, I, I know what it means to ride on a coattail in a group project when I'm in school, but I don't know. There's something about collaboration that just rubs so many of us wrong. And I think one of the chief reasons for that is what it just was shared in that story about the hogs and the logs. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I, the hogs are those students who insist on monopolizing all the work. They're the ones who take over the bulk of an assignment or a project, and they don't allow any other group members to participate, right? Like the hogs exist for a number of reasons, but I think the most prominent is that hogs don't trust their group mates. School has made them so adept at succeeding individually that the risk of trusting others with their success is too great to the hogs relinquishing control can mean this risk of failure and in their experience with school failure is not an option right like and and so can you relate to that maybe you were a hog growing up where you just didn't want to let other people collaborate and so you just took on all the work so that's the hogs and then there's 
the logs. By the way, don't call your students hogs and logs. That is not nice. This is just to help illustrate a point. But then you've also got the logs. Those are the students who are immobile and sluggish and stagnant like logs. They just lay there and allow everybody else to just drag them along. They do nothing to contribute. Whether caused by laziness or apathy or their own distrust, some students just don't put in the same effort as everyone else. And this forces others to carry their slack. Ask any group of people why they don't like group projects. And the overwhelming response will be because of the logs, right? The injustice of someone riding on your coattail, doing nothing and yet reaping the benefits is maddening. For me, as a new college student with this group that did nothing and yet they got the credit that just grinded me deep in my bones. You know, whether it's dead weight or a student who insists on taking over the entire workload, Hogs and logs can be a recipe for disastrous collaboration. And I think this is why many of us educators just swear off classroom collaboration or we swear off group work because we have these experiences and we know how chaotic can, it can be and we know the emotions that can fly. We know how hard it is to hold other people accountable. I mean, one time I was on this English department and we had this big initiative where we were going to have choice reading in all of the English classrooms in the entire school. And so we all got this big grant and we were able to fund our own classroom libraries and we were going to allow our students to choose what they read. And we were trained by some really brilliant um, experts in this area about how to um, run a class with choice reading and do reading conferences. And, and it, it was like this big initiative. And most of the English teachers were really excited about this work and and we put a lot of time in meetings into figuring out how it was all going to work but I remember through every one of those meetings there was always this one teacher who today for the podcast purpose we'll call him Bill I remember Bill never said anything in these meetings about choice reading in fact most of the time he had his laptop open and he said he was taking notes but every time you'd walk by him you'd see that he was on ESPN.com or on Facebook or something like that he gave no contribution to these meetings and then when we launched the program it was kind of working in many of our classes but there was this whole segment of students in the school who when you would ask how's choice reading going they'd say oh we don't do that we're just reading the same books that we always read and, and and you dig deeper and it was, yeah, none of his students were doing this, that none of them were doing the reading conferences. None of them were using the classroom libraries. It, it wasn't happening. And I got to tell you, as a member of that English department, I was frustrated about it. And I remember I would share my frustration with other teachers about it. And sometimes we'd be in the staff lounge and we'd talk about how Bill wasn't contributing to the meetings or how Bill was on ESPN all the time or how Bill wasn't doing this new program with his students. And we'd talk about it with each other. We'd talk about it with our principal. Sometimes we even talked about it with students. And I got to tell you, sometimes it even devolved into gossip. And we'd basically talk to everyone there could be to talk about it, except who? That's right, Bill. Nobody ever talked with Bill about this. And I got to tell you, the program kind of slowly dissolved. It really needed a full buy-in on the staff. And when it wasn't happening, it kind of fell apart over time. And now I... I, I mean, I'm wondering, how come nobody ever talked to Bill? Well, I think the reason I didn't is because I liked Bill. We like to talk about sports. We like to talk about life. He, he was a really nice guy. I didn't want to offend him. I didn't want to have to hold him accountable. That's not easy to do. But as a result of that, 
We never found out why he didn't want to engage. Was he possibly an introvert and just didn't have the opportunity to express how he was feeling? Did he sometimes feel drowned out by certain people in that meeting who were a little bit louder than others? That's me, by the way. Right? I, 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 could he possibly have just been lazy? I don't know because nobody ever talked to him about it. Right? There is a consequence to not knowing how to hold other people accountable for things and be able to hold them on task and use tools and protocols and practices that lead to healthy collaboration. And I think we're seeing the result of it in our society right now. It seems like we have a society that doesn't know how to use healthy accountability, right? And I think that's what leads to the vicious cycles that happen on social media. People don't know how to communicate their displeasure with others. They don't know how to communicate growth rather than punishment. I think that's why we see some of this cancel culture. You can quote unquote that if you want, but this idea of not listening to other people's sides or this idea of, I don't want to hear what you have to say as long if, if it's not aligning with my views because people don't know how to actually do that. And yet we need to figure out how to do this, right? Healthy accountability isn't just punitive. It's not saying, hey, Bill, you're not working well on the team. Now here's a punishment for it. Instead, healthy accountability needs to be restorative. It's got to restore what we were trying to accomplish. And we've got to teach students how to do this. How can we use healthy ways to hold each other accountable so that we can collaborate well, so that we can have a society that collaborates well, so that we can all be successful at some point. So let's talk about some concrete ways we can actually do this. You know, one of the wisest characters in the history of literature once said, there are all kinds of courage. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to your enemies, but just as much to stand up to your friends. I therefore award 10 points to Mr. Neville Longbottom. Yeah, you know you love that quote. Yeah, but I mean, it's true. Dumbledore hit it right on the head. It's not easy to hold your friends accountable. It's not easy to, to approach your peers and ask them to carry their load and share the workload and, and contribute in good ways. And so I want to talk about some ways we can actually do that well. You know, because holding someone accountable doesn't have to be a difficult task if you have those helpful tools and processes and reasonable protocols in place. So here's a few that every classroom can use to practice accountability on the path to successful collaboration. And the first one is called a group contract. This is something I've written about a bunch before and I've got videos about it as well. So if you wanna see me talk about it, feel free to Google my name and group, group contract. But this is basically what a group contract is. And I hope this is a tool whether you teach early elementary all the way up to higher ed that you can find useful with your students. So at the beginning of any collaborative project, before any work takes place, students should fill out a group contract. A group contract is a shared document that the group members write and they sign together. It's essentially a mutual agreement by all the group members to, to a set of norms for collaboration throughout the project. It's like a living document that, that's really saying this is how we expect each other to work. And, and if we don't work this way, we're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to call it out. 
And you know, the creation of group contracts starts with a discussion among group members about each other's strengths and weaknesses concerning whatever the project or task is that they're working on. You know, so if students are doing some type of art project, so you, you've outlined like, okay, throughout this project, you're going to work in groups to accomplish this type of task. It's beneficial for everyone to know if someone loves making art. You know, if there's a video component, this is an opportunity for a student with video skills to let everyone know. If the project involves public speaking and a student is deathly afraid of it, they could share this with their group members during this part of the process. I mean, this doesn't mean that if someone is strong in a certain way that they'll be assigned a certain role or that if a kid is afraid of public speaking that they won't have to present. The point of this part of the process is for students to get acquainted with one another so that they have extra knowledge to strengthen collaboration later on. You know, classroom relationships tend to be surface level. And what students know about each other is based on certain narrow information. When students are given a formal, directed time to talk with each other about personal strengths and, and room for growth, what happens, especially when you use it in a formal process where they write these things down in the group contract, relationships go deeper. And I can't say this enough, and I will say it all the time, the heart of strong collaboration is found in relationships. And so after having this conversation about strengths and weaknesses, then have students come up with agreements for how they expect each other to work during the project. And, and this can be teacher-led the first time, as they might not necessarily know what they want from each other. I, I find a good question to ask students is, hey guys, what are some reasons that you hate working in group projects? And you'll get lots of hands up right away. And they'll say the things we say. They don't like the hogs and logs. They, don't, they realize that differing personalities are hard to work with sometimes. They get that it's hard to hold a friend's accountable. I mean, you'll find that students despise unhealthy collaboration as much as us adults do. And so have that discussion and then say, okay, let's come up with some agreements that prevent those things from happening. And you know, some of those agreements might be, I will complete any task assigned to me by my group. Or if I'm sick or absent for some reason, I will check in with the group within 24 hours. Or I will not use my headphones unless I'm working on an individual task. Or I won't have my, my phone out during collaborative work time. Or I'll be open to constructive criticism by other group members. And then after gathering these responses, let students know that the group contract is designed to help prevent these issues from happening. Once students have a handle on how to create team agreements, allow them to discuss among themselves and record it in the, pro in the contract. And then at the end of this, have students sign off. They're all signing this covenant to say, I will do my very best to not violate this contract. I agree to all of these things we just listed as a group. Now, is the group contract perfect? Is it a binding oath that students will never violate and it's going to solve all of these problems for good? No, I, I wish it was, but that's not how it works. Our students are human like us and they're going to make mistakes. But I think what's really happening with a group contract is it's giving students an opportunity to become aware of what healthy collaboration should look like. And it can serve as a reference point when those things are violated. When, when the contract is not held up, now you have this document where you can say to students, hey, you said you weren't gonna have your phone out. In fact, you signed off that you wouldn't. Tell me what's going on. Or you can take it a step further and have students learn to do that. And they can say, hey, you were absent yesterday. You didn't check in. How come? right? That it, it was listed in the contract. What happened there? And it's just a great conversation starter and it leads to healthier co uh, collaboration. And it really just helps to serve accountability among groups.
One time after a big group project, something that took like a month to complete, one of the groups presented their final product and it was awesome and I cheered them on and I said, great job groups, really love what you did. And I remember right after class, I went up to one of the students, her name, we'll call her Elena today. I went up to Elena and I said, hey, your group did awesome. And she looks me in the eyes and all of a sudden tears well up and she goes, what do you even know? And she turned and walked away and slammed the door. And I was like, what just happened here? And so I eventually was able to track Elena down and said, hey, what was that about? Like, why'd you yell at me? And she goes, well, I did all of the work in that project and everybody acted like they did something, but I did all of it and you praised us in front of the whole class, which again is a sentiment I can completely relate with Elena on. And I said, well, I didn't know that. Why didn't you tell me? She goes, well, I don't know. And I said, well, did you, did you talk to them about it? No. Did you use your group contract? Well, no. Why didn't you let me know? She goes, well, I didn't want to make them mad at me. I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, I didn't, I didn't want to make them mad at me. I said, well, so you're telling me it's okay for you to be mad at them. It's okay for them to offend you enough to where you're feeling this way, but it's not okay for you to do the right thing and for them to have hard feelings towards you. That doesn't seem very fair that you have to be the one who's angry now when you're the one who did the work. I said, here's the thing, Elena, next time this happens, you've got to use that contract. And if you don't know how to do that, I can help you with that. Turns out I'm pretty good at holding students accountable. I know what words to use and what posture to take. And so let me know and I will help you do that. I can give you the words, but I can also do it and you can watch me. We have to show students what it actually looks like. We can go up to students and say, hey guys, you signed the contract and said that you were all going to accomplish the goals that you had for yourselves in this project. Do you feel like you're doing this? Or hey guys, I've seen a lot of people on their phones during collaborative work time. Can you explain to me why that doesn't violate the contract? You know, you can have these conversations and be a model for students. We have to remember that this group communication can be brand new to many of our students and we have to show them how to do it in a healthy way. We can use certain language like, hey guys, I like that you're doing this, but I'm wondering if you can improve it in this area. Or hey guys, I'm giving you a warning on your contract. You know, you, you violated it here, I'm delivering you a warning. No problem now, because we all make mistakes, but if there's continued issues, I'm gonna give more warnings and then we're gonna recommend that you're leaving the group. Whatever it is, whatever accountability system you use in your own classroom to make sure students stick to the contract, it's so important that we actually model for students what it looks like to hold each other accountable. And, and you know, this starts with using language that's within a protocol, you know, having a protocol that use whether it's I like and I wonder or, hey, we, we need to work better on this or we need to stick to the contract. But one of the things that I love to see happen is when students start using the same type of language that we use in this formal way using the contract outside of the protocol. You know, I love it. I, I remember later that year I watched Elena in a group and I heard her say something like, I wonder if you guys can put your phones away. And that, that, that to me was evidence of learning. She's starting to use this accountability language in her everyday life and it's strengthening her as someone who knows how to work in groups. Now, the other thing I learned from this though is, so that was a teaching moment for Elena, but it was also a teaching learning moment for me because I realized my students just went through an entire month of group work and I had no idea that Elena was struggling this much. I really didn't know 
that my students were not working in that group and that she was covering all of the bases. And so one of the things that I had to do was start keeping tabs on groups. And, and one of the mistakes I made with Elena is that I went the whole project without knowing how she was collaborating and how others were collaborating. And this is why I now use something called a peer and self-assessment at different stages throughout the project. Now, a peer assessment is when students evaluate their group members' collaborative process. So anytime there's an extended collaborative activity, meaning a group of students is working together for multiple days or weeks at a time, the peer assessment should be used throughout the whole project. So students are asked to evaluate everyone in their group's effort and contribution using some type of scale. Like, you know, it can be a four-point scale. And after giving a number score for how well they think that their groupmates are collaborating, they have to justify in writing why they gave their group members that score. Now, and, and you know, a, a number four on that might be, oh, they gave their very best effort every day. They communicated well. They notified team members when they were absent. They held each other accountable. They made an effort to contribute. And then maybe a, a, a zero or a one on that is no group involvement or they were not contributing in any way. But having students actually do this helps them critically think about what collaboration is looking like. But it also provides for me this formative assessment assessment. You know, it tells me, oh, this group is doing well. Or, you know, maybe one student gave themselves a four, but everybody else in the group gave them a one. That all of a sudden gives me an indication that I need to have a conversation with that student. We need to talk about why is everybody giving you a one? What do we need to do to get you back on track? And now I used to give this assessment at the end of projects, kind of as like a grade, like, all right, guys, I want you to fill out this assessment and I'm going to use it to help figure out what your collaboration grade is going to be for this project. But then what would happen is I would get this type of feedback like, oh, I did all the work. Nobody did anything. And sometimes the kids who didn't do anything would even be honest about it. And I realized this needs to be used as a tool. The peer and self-assessment needs to serve as an indicator throughout the project. So me as their teacher, as their facilitator can step in when necessary. Now, there's other tools and resources, and we'll make sure that we talk about them um, on the podcast in later dates. But the thing we've got to remember most, whether it's using a group contract or it's using peer and self-assessments or it's modeling language and how to have tough conversations, the thing we have to remember most is that this is new to many of our students. And it might be new to some of us as well, but it is such a crucial skill. And so we've got to make sure that we are dedicating real time and effort into teaching students how to have these difficult conversations and being open with how difficult it can be, but also how necessary it is. You know, I never want to offend somebody. And so I'm going to try to use the best language possible to prevent myself from doing that. But I've also learned that I don't want to carry people's slack anymore. When I'm working on collaborative group projects, I want it to be fair and equal. I want to contribute my gifts and my skills and my resources, but I want other people to contribute their own as well. You know, one of the reasons that employers are so desperate for people who know how to work on teams is because there is a lot of power in collaboration. There is a lot of power in in people bringing their gifts and talents and skills and resources and ideas and knowledge to the table. And it's no different in school. Our students can accomplish more and learn deeper when they learn to work together. And part of working together is being able to hold the people you're working with accountable. And so let's teach students how to do that. And let's give them the language and let's humbly share our own mistakes so that they can learn from them and not be the hogs and logs, but instead be the frogs. I don't know. It rhymes. Frogs, like jumping from lily pad to lily pad. I don't, you know what? 
This is off the cuff, my friends, but let's teach our students how to be strong collaborators and let's stick together right now and find ways to collaborate with each other. Now more than ever, we've got to find ways to work with each other and grow together and continue to move forward. And it's such a joy to get to be a small part of your education journey and story. So thanks for inviting me into it and thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. That was a lot to cram into 30 minutes. So uh, I, I, I'm glad that you're still here. Please take a second to subscribe to the Epic Classroom Podcast if you haven't already. And if, and if you could take just a minute to leave a review and let me know what you think about it. Your reviews and your subscriptions help get more and more people on board to find out about this podcast and hopefully join this journey and story with us. So thank you, friends. My name is Trevor Muir. If you want to get in touch with me, or find ways for us to work together, you can go to my website at trevormuir.com where there's all of different ways to get in touch and for us to connect even more. So feel free to do that. Feel free to follow me on social media at The Epic Classroom in most places or on Twitter at Trevor Muir, where I love to share my ideas and inspiration and stories with all of you, whether it's in video or writing, that's where you can find me. But thank you, my friends, and I am looking forward to drop in the next episode next Monday, like every Monday of the Epic Classroom Podcast. Take care.